Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to RUF. I'm so glad that you're here. I haven't met you yet. My name is Lewis Lovett. I'm the campus minister for RUF. I know that there's a lot of demands on your time and your attention, especially a week like this with a short week, but twice the work and midterms coming up before you get out of town. So thank you for spending time uh, to be a part of what this community is doing. We're spending our Tuesday nights going through a series in the Gospel of John that we're calling Jesus Gives Us Life. And we're doing that because when we think about the four years of college that you have here, we want it to be a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of fulfillment, a life of joy. And so we have all these epic expectations for that, and it can be hard to believe that in the here, in the now, in the normal, in the ordinary, that we might experience something like that. But the claim of the Bible and of the gospel of Christ is that there is life. There's life in Jesus. In John 1, we, we talked about how Jesus came into this world and in him was life. Jesus says in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And at the end of John's gospel, he says that he's written all these things down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing have life in his name. He came to give us life. And so we've talked about Jesus coming to give us a life of joy, a life of worship, a life of forgiveness. And tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus gives us a life of hope. He gives us a life of hope. And we're going to do that by looking through John 11. It's a long chapter, so we're not going to read the whole thing, but I want to catch you up to where we're going to pick up uh, in verse 17. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And while he's in Jerusalem, he gets a message from uh, some really, really dear friends of his, two women named Martha and Mary, telling him that their brother, Lazarus, is sick, and he's really sick, like he's dying sick. And this is a family that Jesus is really close with, and uh, his heart is, is full for them. And so he responds to their calls for help because their brother is sick by hanging out in Jerusalem for two additional days. And then he gets up and he goes to their village, which is a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And by the time he gets there, uh, he finds that Lazarus has already died and been buried. So we'll pick it up there in verse 17. It's printed on your handout. Or if you have a Bible, you can look in John 11 or on your device. It would be great for you to have the text in front of you as I read. From John 11, starting in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing 
that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. You pray with me and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this night. Thank you for the beauty of music for the truth and encouragement of your word, I pray that your spirit would be working through it right now so that we might love you more and love each other. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where I went to school, Wofford College, go Terriers, we had a, uh, we had a winter term. It's like your spring term, except it's in January, a month-long mini-semester. In my sophomore year, I took that time and I left campus and I did a Knowles course. It's the National Outdoor Leadership School. It's kind of like Outward Bound. They do these wilderness uh, expeditions. And I went down to Baja, Mexico to do this sailing course in the Sea of Cortez. So I, I made my way down to Loreto, Mexico, which if you're looking at the Baja coast, it's about two-thirds of the way south towards uh, Cabo down there in the bottom. And we got into these boats. There, there, there are 12 of us and four instructors, mostly people around my age. I was 19 at the time. Uh, and if, you, if you've sailed before, th- these are little boats, they're like a large rowboat, 20-foot-long rowboat with a pole that you hang a sail from. So there's no cabin, there's no bathroom, there's no, there's no uh, anything on this boat. And we spent the next 23 days sailing from island to island in the Sea of Cortez. Uh, it was a really incredible, magical time. We sailed uh, from the coast to uh, Isla Danzante and then Isla Carmen, and then we made our way to Isla Montserrat. It's as far as we made, uh, made it away from our base camp. It, this is 23 days of... You know, didn't see another human being the whole time. Didn't see uh, an electric light for three and a half weeks. It was a really magical, uh, beautiful time. But we were out there so long that we couldn't keep uh, all the food that we needed for the whole time with us. So we had about 15 days worth of food. And then on, on day 15, we were going to get resupplied. There was going to be a food drop at, back at Isla Carmen. We get to Montserrat on day 14. And we wake up the next morning. Uh, we're just on sleeping bags on the beach every night. So beautiful. Wake up the next morning, and the wind is howling, and the waves have picked up to, to such a degree that these little boats can't, can't go out. It's not safe. And so we have to stay there. And the next day is the same, and the next day it's the same, and our food starts to get low, and our water supply starts to go down. And we get to the point where we're really carefully rationing 
the water to make sure that we have enough but we don't drink more than we should. And we're having little bits of ramen noodles and oatmeal. We're not putting any water in the ramen because we don't have enough water for it. So we're, we're eating that. And our instructors on day three start hiking us around this island. Uh, this is like the same kind of climate desert as Arizona. What's up, Donovan? It's the Sonoran Desert. So there's just cactus and dirt and rocks, okay? There's no fresh water. We're carrying all our water with us. And we're finding these uh, kind of cactus called a barrel cactus. This kind of weird bulbous-shaped cactus. No arms, just one thing. And on top there's these flowers, and inside this little kind of kiwi-ish type fruit. And so I get to this point where I'm realizing we're running out of food. We're running out of water. They're trying to make us live off cactus flowers. Uh, I'm 19 years old. This is the first time I realized, like, uh, everything might not be okay. <laughs> like, we might legitimately run out of water out here. We might legitimately not have enough food to eat. People might start to get sick. Like, I could die out here. And I started to get scared. And we were all trying to act loose and cool, but everyone started to get scared. People started to get prickly. They started to fight and whine and complain we started to just sit around and hope and get discouraged and wonder, like, are we going to be okay here? There's no 911. There's no Coast Guard. There's no one to come help us. We really need to get back to this food and this water. We started to slip into, into despair. It, we all know what that feeling of despair is. Despair is that moment when you admit to yourself, everything might not be okay. I'm not in control of this. I can't fix this. I can't solve this. This just hurts. This is just broken. We, we experience despair when a friend or a loved one in our family dies and we realize that things won't ever go back to being the same again. We experience it after a, a night out when we've made a mistake and we wake up the next day realizing we wish we couldn't remember and there's nothing that we can do to take it back. We, we feel this despair uh, when rush doesn't work out the way we want it and we're left feeling unwanted and alone and unvalued. We feel this way when we realize that the goals and the dreams that we have might not happen. They might not actually turn out the way that we want it. We feel this way when the relationships that we've been so excited about and put so much hope in start to unravel and, and fall all around us. And we're talking about despair because in this story, uh, we see characters who are walking in deep, deep despair. Martha and Mary's brother has died. This is the, they, they've lived with him. They love him. He's the one who has provided for them. And they had hopes that it might work out. They had hopes that someone might come and rescue him, but it didn't happen. And so they're left just filled with sadness, sorrow, grief, pain, fear, Anger. Do you know that feeling? And into that darkness, into that death, into that despair, Jesus comes. And he comes into it and he brings life. He comes into it and he brings hope. And in our despair, Jesus comes and he brings life. And he brings hope. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look through and we're going to see in this story that we experience Hope of Jesus as we see Christ as our comfort and we see Christ as our new creation. Christ is our comfort and Christ is our new creation. So first, Christ is our comfort. The, the, the first thing that's noteworthy is that in the midst of their despair, Jesus comes. He arrives. He shows up. 
But even this is a little weird, right? Jesus gets this news. If you read through it, I would recommend you read through all of John 11. He, he hears this news, and he it seems like he's about to go. And then he says, he says this weird thing. I'm not ready to go yet. This did not happen for no reason. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And he waits two days. He waits too long. (laughs) Do you ever feel like that's what God does for you? That you need him and you call out to him and he just doesn't show up right away? Or not in the ways that you wanted or not in the ways that you expected? If you feel like that or if you have felt like that, you're not crazy. That's how these women are feeling. Jesus, whoa. Why didn't you show up when we wanted you to? But the good news of this passage is that what we see is that Jesus is more trustworthy than our instincts. He's better than our desires. His plan is superior in every way. And when we can wait on him to show up in his timing, with his methods and his ways, we can actually experience life and hope. Jesus comes to us even when it's not how we would expect. The second thing we see is the compassion of Jesus. The thing that stands out about this story, if you read through all the Gospels, in no other place do you see this raw emotional side of Jesus. This is the most intense expressions of Jesus' emotion as, as a man, as a human being, that you see in the entire New Testament. When, when, he, when he comes, when finally he, Mary comes out to him, and he sees her weeping, and he sees everyone else weeping. Here's what, it's, here's what it says in verse 33. It says, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Here's the literal translation of that from the Greek. It'd be something like, He snorted with anger. Or he moaned with indignation. That's what that word means. Jesus is having a physical, audible, visceral reaction. He's shouting out in pain. And then he says, where have you laid him? And they say, come and see. And then we see this incredible verse of the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. The crazy thing here is that Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew he was going to take the death away, and he still cries. He still weeps. He's still heartbroken. In the midst of our despair, Jesus cares about how we feel. He's emotionally connected to us. We, we have this sense, even when things are falling apart, that when we come to God, we need to come the right way. And we need to look good, and we need to say the right things, and we need to maintain the proper poise, and we need to make sure we don't say anything that would be too offensive or hard, or at least we don't know how to do that. And the invitation from Jesus here is to say, come to me with everything you've got. Come to me openly and honestly with all your pain, with all your frustration, with all your bitterness, with all your disappointment. Not only can I handle that, but when you're crying over the death of your friend, I'm crying with you. When you're crying because you've been rejected by that boy, I'm crying with you. When you're crying because you've failed, I'm crying with you. He actually cares about our life so much that his heart breaks at our brokenheartedness. Jesus shows compassion. The, the next thing we see is the way that Jesus consoles them. The, 
one of the interesting things about the story is the way that Martha and Mary react so honestly to Jesus here. Jesus comes, and Martha runs out to him, but what does Mary do? She stays home. You ever done that with God? You're feeling broken, you're feeling pain, and you're just, you don't really want to pray. You don't really want to talk about it. A little hint of bitterness, a little hint of anger, a little hint of disappointment, a little more blame, maybe, than thankfulness for God and what he's done. And, and, and then even once she goes out to him, both Martha and Mary say the same thing. And what do they say? If you had been here, if only you'd shown up, if only you'd gotten here a few days sooner, you could have fixed it. You could have saved him. You could have restored his life. Again, do you hear that little, I, I know you are Jesus and I trust you, but come on. A little quicker, please. A little more what I need, please. They come to him with a little bitterness in the midst of their trust, a little anger in the midst of their faith. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus does not rebuke them. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't say, well, if that's what you're going to say to me, I'm out of here. He doesn't get passive-aggressive like they're being. He can take it. And instead, he encourages them with the truth of who he is and what he's going to do. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he die, will live. Jesus is saying, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your anger, in the midst of your disappointment, I'm not, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. You don't actually need your circumstances to get a little bit better. You need Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you myself. I am the resurrection and the life. I am what you need. And I'm going to give you myself, my kindness, my tenderness, my warmth, my strength, my empathy, my power, my presence. I'm going to give you my life. That is the only consolation that does us any good. I want you to think for a second about the kind of friends that you have or that you want to have. And I want you to think for a second about the kind of boyfriend or girlfriend you have or you wish you had or you want to have or the kind of person that you want to marry someday. And one of the things I want to tell you tonight is that the kind of friends that you need to have, the kind of boyfriend that you need to have, the kind of girlfriend that you need to have are the people who are going to comfort you like this who are going to see you in your darkest, deepest moments of despair and are going to come to you and are going to be with you. And they're not going to give a quick fix. They're not going to give empty words. They're not going to try to point out the silver lining. They're going to give you their presence. They're going to be with you. And they're going to point you to the only true consolation, the encouragement of who Jesus really is, the resurrection and the life. That's the kind of friends you need. That's the kind of people you need to be dating. We experience hope because Christ, in the midst of our despair, is our comfort. The the second thing tonight is that in the midst of our despair, we experience Christ as our new creation. We've been talking about Jesus' interaction with Martha and Mary. Now Jesus turns his attention to death itself, to the ultimate enemy, 
to the epicenter of despair and darkness. And what we see is nothing less than the, the inbreaking of this eternal new creation life, which Jesus himself instigates through his resurrection from the dead. This is an inbreaking of end of days power. This is an inbreaking of resurrection, eternal life. This is an inbreaking of what John says in Revelation, this new creation, this new life. He's giving us a glimpse of it. I want you to try to imagine what Jesus is feeling as he stands before a tomb that's carved out of a cave with a stone in front, just like the tomb that he knows that his body is going to be laid in after he dies on the cross for people who reject him. And I want you to imagine what Jesus is feeling as they roll away the stone, just like the angel of the Lord rolls the stone away. Later in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is inside. And I want you to imagine him looking in at a corpse that is wrapped in a death shroud with the same kind of linens that Jesus' corpse would be laid in. And I want you to imagine what Jesus is feeling when he calls out, Lazarus! Come out! And he stands up. Breath comes into those lungs that have been decaying for 96 hours. Flesh is restored. Eyes are opened. Muscles are working. And he stands up and he walks out like Jesus stood up and walked out of the tomb. This is a moment of intense emotion for our Lord Jesus. Because he's face-to-face with death, which he hates, but he's also face-to-face with his own death. And as he calls this dead man back to life, he's, he's showing us something. He's showing us that death and darkness and despair are real, but that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story, because in Jesus, who defied death, who rose from that, who had this victory over the grave. In Jesus, the end of the story is hope. In Jesus, the end of the story is life. In Jesus, the end of the story is peace. Which means that if you're a Christian, I know not everyone here is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, our belief is that our present circumstances are not actually what defines us. It's actually our future unending reality of life in Jesus that defines us. It's the hope we have in a God who one day will call you and me back to life. One day we will actually hear his voice and breath will come into our lungs that have been decaying. We'll hear his voice and our muscles and our bones and our blood will start working again. We'll hear his voice and our eyes will open again and we'll stand up and we'll walk out and we'll follow him. And he'll invite us to a life of joy in him forever. And when, when Christians talk about heaven, you need to be careful here. We're not talking about babies with harps on clouds. We're talking about flesh and blood life, eating and drinking life, singing and dancing life, hugging and laughing life, real life in Jesus Death and darkness and despair are here and they are real, but they are not the end of the story. And so what we're called to do is in the midst of our despair is to look out past our circumstances at the risen Christ and know that the end of our story is hope.
The end of our story is life in Jesus. And we need to do this because there are some things that aren't going to get better right now. That aren't going to get fixed on this side of heaven. And if you are just hoping that everything is going to work out in your life and then you'll be happy, you need to realize that you need to hope much, much bigger than that and much, much more secure than that. So again, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about the kind of friends that you want and that you have. And I want you to think about the kind of people you, you want to date. And I want to tell you that the kind of friends that you need and the kind of boyfriend or girlfriend that you need are the kind of people who will, in the midst of your despair, not only be with you, but will point you to your only real and lasting hope, which is the risen Christ, which is the eternal life of Jesus who loves you, who's with you now, and who secures this hope of life for you so that you can have hope no matter what kind of despair you are walking through. It's been four days of tiny sips of water and dry ramen noodles. And we wake up on day four, and the wind has died down enough that we think we can get our boats back in the water. And we sail all day back to Isla Carmen. It's a long, hot, salty day on the ocean. And we get there, and the most beautiful thing is waiting for us. A line of jugs of gallons of fresh water. And for each camp group, a big igloo cooler filled with rice and beans and tortillas even some fresh avocados, and on top, inside, the unmistakable blue plastic of a package of Oreos. Now, there's two, there's two things I've seen in my life that took my breath away. One was my wife walking down the aisle on my wedding day, and the second was that package of Oreos in that cooler. And we, we made a plan. We rationed out the water. We were not going to run out of water again. We sat on the rocks and watched the sunset over the Sea of Cortez and ate four packages of Oreos that night. (laughs) Hunger had turned into feasting. Despair had turned into joy. Death had turned into life. This is life with Jesus. This is the movement of a life in Jesus. And, And the forgiveness and the cleanness that we feel now because he has died for us And the renewal and the healing that we experience now because his spirit is in us and with us and working. These things are foretastes of this ultimate renewal. Of this perfect life. This hope that we have to look forward to. When Jesus makes everything new, when he restores us to beauty and goodness and truth in ways that we can't even really wrap our minds around. And he says, even in the midst of your despair, I will be with you. And I'm going to draw your eyes to this future hope because I love you. You pray with me. Lord Jesus, some of us are walking in despair. Some of us are walking in the midst of grief and pain and rejection and anger and disappointment and failure. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you come into that darkness and despair with your comfort, that you are with us, that you console us, that you care, that you weep with us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see this story of you calling life back out of death. Light that swallows up darkness. Life that swallows up death. Joy that swallows up despair. 
You'd help us to see that, and it would help us to keep our eyes in the midst of whatever dark circumstances we're in on you, on the risen Christ. We praise you that you have conquered the dead. Help us to walk in light of that life now. In Jesus' name, amen.